question the voices of res and I hear Oh plastics Plastics is an SPE sponsored podcast. Good morning. Yes, it is. Hey, how how are you? Oh, is it still morning by you? Uh, oh no, it's not. But it's that's morning okay. for me. Ten thirty a.m. Okay, that's perfect. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> nailed it. Did you say ten thirty? You're on Mountain Time. Yes, I am. Calgary, oh. Alberta. <laughs> look, at, look at all these time zones coming together. Three. We got three. Anyway, I'm Mercedes Landazri, and I'm Lindsay Neville. And with our powers combined, we are Flash Chicks, the voices of resin. That's us. We are here. You can listen to our podcast the first Friday of every month. And you can also watch the video version um, where you can just see us. Our also, that's what, and... <laughs> that's what our video, that's what a video does. <laughs> Um, so we have a special guest uh, today. Um, we would like to introduce uh, you to her. Um, you already know that she is in the mountain uh, time zone. Um, but Maya Klechik uh, from uh, Nova Chemicals, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. And thank you for having me. I'm very excited. So Monica, you are the team leader of Circular Products R&D at Nova Chemicals. A lot of titles. We love a good uh, wordy title because... To me, that makes it more exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So can you just, you know, tell us a little bit about um, what your current title is right now and what that means? Absolutely. So circular products related to the circular economy. So Nova Chemicals specializes in polyethylene and ethylene, and I'm specifically in their polyethylene business unit. So we design resin and my team of scientists design resin specifically for a circular economy. So we're always trying to make packaging more sustainable, whether through down gauging, improving uh, properties, uh, allowing for the incorporation of recycled polyethylene specifically, uh, and just generally improving the sustainability. Mm-hmm. Now, you've been with Nova for almost, is it almost 10 years now? Almost directly out of university, I finished my PhD, applied to a series of companies. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, so yeah, so applied to a series of companies and this one was the most aligned with what I did during my PhD. So it was just a great fit. Uh, I I was living out east in Ontario at the time and decided, hey, why not see another part of Canada and decided to move out west to Alberta Mm -hmm. and then have been here ever since. I've had such a great career, moved around in a series of roles. So it's hard to say that why not change the company? So, yeah. Uh-huh. Now, Monica, you are one of those. And should should I be calling you? Do- what do you prefer, Dr. Monica? No, or- please, Monica. <laughs> I would 100% be making people call me doctor. <laughs> you would think, and I thought so too when I was doing my PhD. But now it's just, I think people within the organization who have PhDs, we kind of introduce ourselves at the beginning of meetings like that. But it's just 
kind of a fun thing, but no, we don't <laughs> take it seriously. It's like a low key, like maybe like the same like color epaulette. So like, oh, oh, like, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just like brushed my hair aside. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you are, are one of those individuals. Sometimes people go back to school. You're one of those individuals who like right after getting your bachelor's, you went and got your master's and then your PhD. So was that always that was that always your plan when you started at university? I think so. I remember when I was pretty young, my dad always said that I had to at least get a master's because he was starting to see the trend where an undergraduate degree was not enough to differentiate yourself because everyone was getting an undergraduate degree. And then when I completed my master's, it was actually 2008. So even if I wanted to start looking for work, I probably couldn't. And truthfully, I just put out some resumes and some feelers and they just got lost into a black hole and I never got any response. Uh, additionally, as I a see- fellow 2008 grad, yeah, I, <laughs> I feel you there. <laughs> exactly. So it was a combination of different things. I skipped two grades. So I actually graduated high school when I was 15 or 16. So by the time I finished my master's, I was 20. I was still pretty young. Grad school was so much fun. I had way more fun in grad school than I did in undergraduate. So I said, why not continue? And so went the whole distance, hoping hoping also by the time I finished my PhD, we'd be out of that recession. And I think I graduated in December and started at Nova Chemicals in February or March. So had a little bit of a break in between and then started working. So I it was ideal. Wow. And uh, and a lot of people, um, you know, who who get their Ph.D. go into academia. Was that ever in in your path? Were you ever considering that? That was never something that I was interested in. Having been in grad school and seeing what professor what was entailed in being a professor, uh, it seemed like you had to write a lot of grants. Like you were always asking for money mm-hmm. and you didn't get to do the work. And there was the teaching element and it just, those types of things didn't really appeal to me. I wanted to be very hands-on, feeling an impact immediately, something that had a large impact, maybe impacted the entire globe. Uh, like people say, oh, you have a PhD, you must be really intelligent. If you put all the knowledge into like a circle, I'm really intelligent in like a microscopic spot, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's not dinner conversation. I know a lot about something so specific and that's what academia would would be. We would accept that as dinner conversation. (laughs) (laughs) If I started talking about um, functionalization of ionomers, which was my PhD, (laughs) I think I would lose people. (laughs) Fair. Well, um, so you, you know, like we kind of said, you you went straight to Nova um, and you've had several different um, job titles within your experience at Nova. And, you know, I think um, right now there's a lot of, well, I hear about it, um, I guess, bashing of the elder millennials or the millennials that are job hunting or job jumping. But, you know, I'm someone who has a lot of jobs on my resume. I go, and for me, it was the experience. And it looks like your experience at Nova has had, you know, you've been able to kind of create those uh, different experiences within your titles there. Can you kind of walk us through some of your job path trajectory? For sure. And yes, among my peers, my age, it's my career path is not uh, traditional in the sense that I've been with the same organization. I think 
in the time that my husband and I have been together, I think a decade. So around the entire career of my of Nova, I think he's been with over 10 employers. And I think a lot of people do that because it's either easier uh, to move up the ladder in terms of both job title and salary and so forth. So that is what generally happens. But Fortunately, within Nova, they gave me so much opportunity for that growth within the organization that it wasn't necessary to change companies. So straight out of university, I went into an R&D role, which was very aligned to my PhD, and I did product development. And I did both short-term and long-term projects where you know there was an immediate uh, customer need, and I delivered on that, as well as, hey, we have this brand new catalyst. It's not commercialized perhaps a new reactor technology, and it won't be commercialized until 5, 10, 15 years from now. Why don't you work on that and try to develop a whole new product portfolio? So had a ton of fun there, learned a lot about the organization, and then really started getting interested in sustainability. And this was pre-2019 where sustainability was not an it word yet. In the trend. (laughs) It wasn't trendy at all. Not at all. And it was just starting to pick up. People were talking about post-consumer recycling. And I decided that I wanted to be less in the nitty gritty details and more in the customer facing uh, element of it within sustainability as well. So I went into technical services. So there it's like, we have a problem right now. You must resolve it. Because if we shut down our line, we could be losing tens, hundreds, you know, millions of dollars per hour. So let's resolve this. So that was a lot of fun. It was a different pace. And then you can understand real life situations. And from there, uh, I took additional education. And this was a certification online through Cornell University because I was interested, interested in our marketing department. So we have a sales and marketing department that is separate from R&D. And so I took that just to give me an edge and a little bit of a foundational knowledge so that when I applied, perhaps they would consider me considering I didn't have true marketing uh, experience. But the combination of having both the technical and now a little bit of marketing. They thought it was a great combination and I got accepted into what was then a brand new role, circular economy market manager. And then I jumped around into a series of market manager roles, e-commerce, which you can imagine is very popular now. And it was around the pandemic as well. So Amazon sales or it just went through the roof. Fair. <laughs> so it was important to figure out packaging. And at the time, Corrugated boxes were uh, in high demand. They had at the time still polymer, polymailers. So we're looking at what's the most sustainable type of packaging that can be fully recyclable to transport goods. And then I went into some new markets that Nova had established, thin wall injection molding, artificial turf, sort of fake grass out front, and um, hygiene for both um, adult and juvenile diapers, for example. And then from there, I went back into R&D and now I'm team leader for circular products. So again, within that sustainability, circular economy realm, but more on the R&D side. Mm-hmm. Very nice. And so definitely making, um, you know, uh, pushing, driving innovations and, and making them available to the world that that will hopefully change the world for the better, as you were, as you were saying, as one of your... I think we're already seeing it, um, not only through uh, what we're delivering and what we're providing to our customers, but just consumer perception on what is needed and then being aware of what is required if we want to 
help the environment, as well as the pledges that brand owners are making, because, you know, we visually see the Coca-Cola's and Nestle's of the world, right? They're all over our packaging and we're demanding from them that they make more sustainable packaging and they're listening to customers and they're making pledges. And a lot of them uh, came out actually in 2019 that by 2025, they wanted to have 25% recyclet content within the packaging. Unfortunately, it was and not pie in the sky, but it was definitely very aggressive. It works well for certain polymers, but not necessarily all. And there's some challenges within polyethylene, um, but they're still moving towards that target. They just might have to move the goalpost out of it because, you know, there are complications. Science is not easy. If it was easy, we would have already implemented this years ago. And uh, we're working together as a value chain, uh, which is a different business model than in previous years, because before... There was a lot of competition, you know, first to market. We wanted to have that um, market share. We want to have the most sales. And now we're realizing collectively as a whole, we need to work together in order to come to a resolution um, because otherwise it's, it's, we're just spinning our wheels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now you, in our, in some of our correspondence before this, um, this podcast, um, you had mentioned the three pillars um, when thinking about circular products, reducing packaging weight, uh, monomaterial or uh, recyclable and and um, recycled the uh, polyethylene uh, incorporation. Can you break those those pillars down a little bit more in detail for us? Absolutely. So Nova Chemicals works solely with polyethylene, but when it comes to different markets and applications, maybe polyethylene isn't the best choice. So you always have to look at it holistically across all materials. What is the best choice? Um, polyethylene is the most used plastic um, by volume within the world. So it has a lot of applicability. Um, but then when you look at that application, you should always look at the life cycle analysis from cradle to grave to understand what is the best approach. So sometimes it might be going down and gauge. So taking a really thick material might just be over-engineered for the type of application that you have and it's unnecessary. So you can reduce it by 20, 50%. It still protects the contents. Then great. That is, that's a huge win. It might not be as sexy as, you know, oh, I have recycled content in it, but it's still a huge win when it comes to sustainability. And then obviously the biggest driver is taking these multi-material packages and growing mono-material. So, you know, before I even entered this industry, I had no idea that salad bags and just free packaging in general is not one layer of plastic. It can be three, five, seven, 11, 15, a, a ton of different layers. And oftentimes you use different polymers for the different layers because it provides different physical properties. Mm-hmm. You might use uh, something because it provides greater moisture barrier, greater oxygen barrier, longer shelf life. So what we're trying to do is really stretch the boundary of polyethylene and try to replace some of those other materials so that every single layer can be polyethylene, which is challenging, right? Because sometimes it's just not inherent in it. So you're coming up with new resin design, new additives in order to do that. And then the most recent trend right now, um, really blew up in around the 2019s, is the incorporation of recycled material. So within polyethylene, there's both mechanical and chemical and advanced recycling. And uh, there's already some... uh, resin producers that are working in advanced recycling uh, 
space. It's still pretty novel. It's, you know, low volumes. And we're really trying to figure out the chemistry there. And that can be through gasification and pyrolysis. And then we have mechanical recycling, which is much more mature. We've, I mean, we've been recycling for decades now, but it's really bringing up our recycling rates because I think we're below 10% recycling rate within North America. Uh, So huge area for improvement and how the different streams of polyethylene are recycled is going to be different. So we have high density and linear low, low density. So high density is your like rigid plastics. Those are recycled a lot easier. If you think about your laundry detergent, your shampoo bottles, everyone recycles that. But when it comes to your flexible packaging, people don't really know, is it recyclable? Is it not? Some, there's not in some places, uh, municipalities don't even have the infrastructure to collect it and uh, process it. So lots of challenges when it comes to PCR or post-consumer recycling, but that would be that third pillar. Yeah. Even when you do know, you know, my husband, um, he'll, you know, I always collect all our plastic bags because, um, I have a smuggling operation since they're now uh, banned in New York where my family lives. Um, I can still get some plastic bags here in Pennsylvania. So I smuggle them to my family so that we have reusable <laughs> plastic bags. Um, but That's when okay. I do, they're, they're not single use. They're exactly. actually they're not single use yeah. for us either. I have a right. whole and we reuse them. Exactly. <laughs> I need these. Um, but the, you know, the few times that like we are, you know, taking stuff out to recycling, like my husband will be like, well, can we recycle this? And it'll be like the bag from, you know, the fruit or he'll be like, can I recycle this? And, and it's just like, even, even living with someone who like is somewhat more educated than your average consumer on what can be recycled in, in our municipality, you know, it's still a struggle. So like, you know, to create that mono, um, mono material, which I actually just saw Instagram because Instagram knows all my wants and desires now um oh the obago no uh well i do know about the obago but the um it was a makeup line i think called gen c and they advertised that all their um their makeup containers are all mono material it all said um i think they had polyethylene um but I was, that's the first time I've seen that, like in someone's advertising that like, Marketing. wasn't wow. out of, you know, a plastics world. And yeah. I was really excited about that. Um, I'm seeing it more and more with plastics uh, or sorry, uh, with the cosmetics industry that they're going to more sustainable packaging. Even when you think about like when they want to protect the contents, then they have you know, a contraption to hold it in place so it doesn't shift in the box. And then they have the box around it. And they even talk about, you know, everything around it is more slim and makes more sense. Like everything has a purpose now. Uh, So people are definitely more aware. Consumers are more aware. Uh, We've done consumer insights um, since 2019. And people definitely understand more around recyclable. I think recycled content is still a little bit of a black box, but the education and the awareness is definitely increasing. Um, But education is so key. Even within my household, my husband still asks me because it's not obvious. It's not um, easily labeled and understandable. Uh, So I know that 
uh, legislation within, you know, the province and the country, state and country as well in the U.S., you know, they need to have a harmonized, synchronized system that makes sense. So even when you cross the border, you still know right. what to do. <laughs> right. Even, you know, the chasing arrows, like it, it seems like it's so obvious. Um, but I was talking to a member of my family who shall remain nameless, not my immediate family, my cousins. And um, she said, well, it has this on it doesn't it just mean it's recyclable and i was like those the, do you not notice there's different numbers in there I'm like, those are different <laughs> materials and she's like oh i never paid attention to that i'm like oh my god and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's recyclable so the different numbers <laughs> means it's a different stream but the number means that it might be the material of highest proportion within it but not necessarily that it's the only she thought oh, I, I didn't know that I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Yeah. So she, it's deceiving as well. Cause you're like, okay, chasing arrows. That means it's recyclable, but not necessarily. Right. She just thought oh, I could toss it in. It's recyclable now. And I was like, this is not, it's not a go ahead side. It, yeah. And then some people have great. Yeah. And then some people have curbside. Mm-hmm. Some people, you know, the city separates it yourself. They're set themselves. Sometimes you have to separate it. And then in the U S you have the more common, you know, drop-offs, which, you know, we don't have that, but we have bottle depots and it's just, it's different everywhere, mm-hmm. which makes it so much harder. Right. Yeah. There's no consistency. And even when you do have something that is for collecting it, you know, it's not always properly labeled or it's just kind of like half labeled and you're like, yes. or, or it's not, I mean, there's been plenty of times where I go to like throw something out. I was like, oh, that's recycling. <laughs> you just got to like move on to the next one. You know, you got to got to make it obvious. Yep, absolutely. So uh, what can you tell us about uh, ES2 and uh, incorporating higher um, recycled content? The ES2? The AS2? I think you said that you guys were working on a new certification. No, not us. Oh, the AST2. Oh, sorry. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. So our AST2 plant. Yes. So we have a new build coming up in uh, Ontario, and it is coming up any day now. So we have a billion pounds of extra resin that will be available to the market. And we it's a proprietary solution process of ours. So we're really able to uh, manipulate process knobs within the reactor so that we can make very specific single, dual reactor, unimodal, bimodal uh, resins. Uh, that allow for us to make high-performance resins. So we're always looking at making these high-performance resins to have this, that we can, you know, replace other materials, increase shelf life, and just protect the contents better. So again, moving that needle around sustainability, but in a different fashion, not necessarily, you know, through, you know, this might contribute to down-gaging. This might contribute to uh, lessening the amount of food loss and such. So we're really excited for that plant to come up. And it's also really exciting for my team because that means we get to design new resins um, and just we have more opportunities to make cool new uh, designs of material. Do you get to, do you get, I mean, this is this is kind of like a fangirl question, but do you get to just like pick out what your your you know desired properties are and what you guys are going to kind of make or are you are you kind of being dictated to um you know what the market needs most or are you the ones that get to look ahead and be like no i think this is it 
there's definitely a push and a pull. So okay. <laughs> we, can't, we can't just do science for the sake of science sometimes just to say, hey, could we even make it? There has to be a purpose behind it. Uh, so a lot of times, obviously, we're listening to the customer, but then our technology will also dictate what we're even capable of, which maybe the customer doesn't even understand. So we're mm-hmm. showing them the boundaries and the limits. And then we say, well, do you think if we provided this, there would be a benefit? So that's the great thing about um, value proposition that Nova provides is that we have great customer service and a great customer experience. So we work really intimately with our customers, which is great because they have a totally different view of the industry than us. We're not totally, but slightly. So it's just a different perspective. So we definitely do both. We provide them opportunities to say, hey, is this even of interest to you? At the same time, we're there listening to them and saying, you know, what are your issues? Because it might not necessarily be uh, in the end, like a physical property that the customer might want, but let's say they want to run more efficiently on their lines. So we're making a resin that just runs faster for them. So then they can make more product per hour. So there's, you know, different types of benefits depending on how you look across that chain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause I could see, you know, a lot of, I feel like the people that need the most help in, you know, jumping in on the circular economy are the people who really think of it as like kind of black and white, like, okay, well we can, make this recyclable or we can increase our, you know, recycled content and, and the other nuances of it are sometimes missed unless you have that expertise to say like, Hey, while you're thinking about that, this can also aid, uh, aid in you, you know, making this more recyclable or whatever. Um, Completely agree. And oftentimes the customers will come to us and those are incremental changes, right? Mm -hmm. Let's make it a little bit thinner than what we already have. Let's put a little bit more uh, PCR content than we already have. But sometimes we have to think, you know, how we shop in five, 10 years is going to be completely different from now. Like say, for example, you know, during the whole pandemic, you know, having your groceries delivered to your house became more popular. So before we walked around down the aisles of a grocery store, what's to say in 10, 20 years, there's warehouses with food, there's robotic pickers that take all the food out and you either come up, drive up to the window and pick it, or there's like an Amazon prime delivery truck mm-hmm. that goes around and drops off groceries. Like we have, we don't know what exactly we can assume. We can guess what might right. come, but if that, Say, for example, that is the reality of our future. How does that change things? If if we're not walking down the aisle anymore, then beautiful print and marketing of you know this type of product is no longer necessary. Say we can have something that's not even um, like the window. There's no window. We can't see the product inside. It's just a black bag with a QR code that says what the product is inside. It totally changes how we make packaging uh, for the food industry, for example. So being prepared for, you know, huge shifts uh, is something that we do uh, within the organization as well. So the big box thinking, its that's cool. Being in those think tank rooms and say, what are the possibilities? Like if the future is the Jetsons, what do we do? I was going to say, we're just reaching out for the Jetsons. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's very much the world that, I, that I'm involved in as well. Yeah. Just watching a lot of cartoons. No, I'm kidding. Oh. <laughs> that <laughs> no, too. Um, no, but actually that kind of gets, gets to a question that I was, I was thinking about, you know, with all of these, you know, um, 
developments and getting to work on R&D and, and developing these polymers have different characteristics. What? How are, are you guys considering the future of recycling and just use an example? from from PET world, the the difficulties now of getting um, thermoforms into recycle streams and, you know, with the differences in the intrinsic viscosity, et cetera. Are you guys planning for those futures? And, and if you're creating these very, you know, uh, complexly different versions of polyethylene, how does that how does that look in the future? Yeah. So I think the biggest struggle when it comes to or one of the struggles that comes with polyethylene is getting food grade material out of the recycling stream. So right now we have that with mechanical recycling on the high density side and it's slowly being introduced on the flexible side, but it's still a challenge because that stream is so inconsistent. There's you know organics that coated and there's contamination. So that that is one area that we're really focusing on because you know I had mentioned that brand owners had that commitment of 25% recycled polyethylene or PCR in general across the board in their packaging by 2025. The companies that met their targets and some of them have already exceeded it are the ones in PET and HDPE because they are more easily recyclable and you can get them back into food contact. Um, PET already has advanced recycling, for example, but it's that food contact flexible side. So the companies that do you know, snack bars and such, they're, they're having a larger challenge. So they're looking, you know, how do we get that food contact? Do we go to other materials, for example, in order to help meet those targets? So that's an area of focus. And that's why a lot of people start talking about advanced recycling, because there you can have a contaminated stream. You don't have to pre-clean it. And it takes your polymer, brings it back to its monomer. And then you have essentially a virgin resin that you have you know, taken from the oil from the ground. So that's what we're looking at. So we have, uh, within our organization, we're actually building a new mechanical uh, recycling plant uh, that will be up and running in a year and a bit time. And so we're looking at technologies on how do we improve that cleaning process. And then we have collaborations on the advanced recycling side so that, you know, if we have those really challenging materials, uh, maybe mechanical recycling isn't the best option and we do advanced recycling. And so we're looking at pyrolysis, gasification, and different pathways in order to get there because, at the end of the day, we're not going to be able to move all packaging to mono material. It's just not going to be possible. Right. We can get to a certain degree, but what about those other materials? Then what type of technologies are there to help separate those materials? And then how do we reuse that? So that also doesn't end up in landfill. So yeah, the, the processing side um, is definitely some, an area of focus and uh, you know, working with specialists in that area to see what kind of technologies are possible, but we just got to keep innovating and things that don't exist today doesn't necessarily mean it won't exist in the future. So you mentioned, you know, that there's those companies that have pledged to do um, the increase of the 25% by 2025. Yeah. Well, that's that's very soon. A lot of them like stated last year, they are missing them. <laughs> um, a lot of them pushed them out. <laughs> Can you tell us um, about Nova's 2030 strategy? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so we have a 30-30 strategy. So by the year 2030, we want a third of our portfolio to be recycled materials. So right now we only sell virgin, re- well, 
the majority of virgin resin. So that's what we pull from the ground and then we produce that material. Uh, but we're going to be looking at a third of our sales going into recycled materials and not necessarily only polyethylene, which we specialize in today, uh, but it could be other polymers as well. So we understand that uh, recycled content is the future and it is here to stay. So we have decided that that is a significant chunk of our business. So a third of our business by 2030. By 2030, we also want to reduce our emissions by 30%. So we understand the impacts of climate change in our industry in that uh, respect. So we're looking at uh, different technologies and different methodologies of reducing our emissions. And then a our last is to be the top 30 uh, Canadian business as well within Canada, because we have, we have a global footprint. All of our plants are within North America, so in the US and Canada, um, but we are a Canadian company. So that, that's our last uh, goal for 2030. Mm-hmm. And are you, are you guys currently tracking like scope one and scope two greenhouse gas emission? And is anybody in the industry that you know actively like have uh, scope three? Like, <laughs> I think it's, I don't know if anyone has it nailed, I think yeah. it's still a generally new space and people yeah. are trying to figure it out. Um, it just, it gets so much more complicated when yeah. it's not what you're directly impacting. Uh, yeah. But yes, we came out with our ESG goals and I think everyone now has some form of ESG goal as well. So, you know, really fleshing out scope one, scope two and scope three, it just, it gets so much more complex when it's not something that you directly impact. But yes, we're looking at, all the um, intricacies across the value chain as things are getting transported, when they're interacting with their customer and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and you it's mentioned an easy feat. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> if it is, we would all be nailing it. You're not oh, sure. It would be carbon neutral across the board. Yeah. <laughs> three is just mind boggling to me, like how, you know, so many of these companies will be able to, to tackle it. It's, it's, it's overwhelming. It is very difficult. And it, you know, if you don't, it's it's a social license to operate, right? Because if you don't, you're going to be taxed out. You know, we have carbon taxes within Canada. Um, it's just companies won't do business with you because, you know, our, our customers are demanding to see this. What kind of carbon footprint do you have? Uh, what kind of, uh, you know, what's the sustainability impact of the product that you make? And so... Um, Recycled content is one thing that people are looking at, but they're also looking at the carbon footprint of a product, right? So understanding that life cycle analysis. So they're looking from all angles and avenues to understand what kind of impact their final product has, our resin has. So it is top of mind and people will not do business with you if you are not providing the numbers and not improving the numbers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think there's, I think that's something to be said, you know, I've heard people say like, why, why does this matter? Why is it like, you know, my duty to do this part of it? And, you know, I think it's great that we're all demanding this higher bar be set for stuff like this. Um, I think it's, it's high time. Let's stop doing shady back deals and let's all get out into the light. <laughs> we have one planet. If we're able to do it, then by all means. I think we also need to be realistic mm-hmm. in the expectations that we place on ourselves. Sometimes 
legislation comes in and they may not have a scientific background and they don't consult the scientific body not to enough detail. And then they make these targets that are, you know, sometimes unrealistic. Mm -hmm. And so I think legislation, the scientific body, they need to work cohesively and coherently together to understand what is actually possible and what does that path look like? And always making the right choice and not having a knee-jerk reaction because we're driven by emotion. I think science will always lead the path that we take, especially when it comes to this, because it is very, very challenging. Um, Yeah, I mean, we've always tried to work in the most um, environmentally friendly way, but there's always room for improvement. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just how far can we push that limit? And, you know, you mentioned the the ESG um, and, you know, one of the other aspects of ESG is in, um, inclusion, inclusion and diversity. I'm telling you, I have had at least one cup of coffee and that is not enough for me today. You um, have one cup of coffee for each kid, though. Like that, <laughs> that would be a lot more coffee than I have yeah. not had. <laughs> um, you know, and... Um, I know you're you're involved in inclusion and diversity, and um, I know Nova is as well uh, a big proponent. Can you tell us a little bit about um, you know Nova's commitment to diversity and inclusion? Absolutely. Um, you know, obviously everything is merit based, but at the same time, we want to give equal opportunity to um, both genders, all races. I have to say, when it comes to Nova Chemicals, we have an incredibly diverse. Um, personnel. I think there was a time where one of our leaders, a VP or someone said, hey, everyone put a pin on the map uh, of where you're originally from. And it was literally scattered everywhere. I think there wasn't someone on like Greenland or something, but it was just, that's the amazing thing because we live in such a global world right now. And we're also so specialized that we can't necessarily get everyone that we need in Calgary, Alberta, or even within Canada. So we have to pull people from Asia and Africa and Europe and South America. And diversity of thought is amazing. And also just having people having lived in different areas and interacted with, you know, their culture, their requirements are so different. Like, for example, uh, I worked in the shrink industry. So, you know, when you have a flat of cans or water bottles, and then you have plastic wrapped around it. Mm-hmm. You have like two bullseyes or two holes on the side where you can lift the package up. When mm-hmm. we go to the grocery store, at least I think you and I, we take it, we pick it up, we put it into the shopping cart, we take the shopping cart to our car, we lift it and we put it into the vehicle. Similarly, it's only a few meters into the house. Not a lot of screen that's being <laughs> put there. Now you look at that same packaging in uh, South America, for example, they have to carry it by hand from the grocery to their store oftentimes, and it could be kilometers long, right? So when you have people with this, you know, diverse experiences and diverse thoughts, then you start understanding how can I do things better? Um, so I, I, within my team, uh, we have, you know, Obviously, I think it's actually half-half, male, female. And then we have, uh, yeah, which is really great. Very uh, great group of intelligent people. And similarly, different countries from around the world. So uh, diversity in in thinking is huge within the organization. And you can just see the positive impact that it has just on the group dynamics, but also just output of thought and, um, you know, commercial products that we bring into the market. 
Yeah, especially if you're working in product development, lots of yes. you know, different backgrounds for really, really um, innovative solutions. And especially yeah. when those people go back home to visit their families and stuff, they bring packaging and then you're like, oh my God, you know, enjoy <laughs> drink um, beer out of a stand-up pouch, like a Capri Sun pouch. Right. Oh, yeah. I would I get down with that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do know that Canada has, donut, like, yeah, bring them to yeah. Well, and Canada has the milk bags. Which Americans think bags. is crazy because you have the milk jugs, bags? right? So yeah. Yeah. You guys have milk in bags? Did we have we do, time? yeah. And then you just slice the corner, you put it into like a little <laughs> uh rigid plastic jar and then <laughs> or like a refillable, you use like <laughs> No, no, they're all they all come in like these pillow pouches. Oh wow. Yeah, huh. <laughs> that's that's my uh, well, I was gonna say my Canadian knowledge for the day, but I I did grow up in Buffalo, so I have a lot of Canadian Toronto knowledge. <laughs> so interestingly yeah. enough, living in Alberta, we actually don't have that. We have oh, them in see? your cartons, but uh, my parents live in Toronto, and so in Ontario, I grew up with that. Yes, milk in a bag. <laughs> wow. I should see if I can find some like in Detroit next time I go since it's just yes. get yourself some milk in a bag. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we're uh, just about out of time today. Um, but uh, Monica Kletchik, thank you so much, PhD. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it was a real pleasure. Um, we're excited to uh, to see what you're going to do next. Thank you. Yes, there's a lot of exciting things for for the future. So I'm excited to see how it unfolds as well. Thank Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Plastics. New episodes appear on the first Friday of every month. So either follow or subscribe to get those new episodes ASAP. Plastics, the Voices of Resin is a plastics podcast sponsored by SPE, inspiring plastics professionals. If you want to find out more about SPE, please visit for like the number spe.org oh plastics